He just made it, didn't he? <laughs> Brian's trying to get out of here. Well, kicking off a new series today called Terminal. Terminal means situated at the end or predicted to lead to death. But honestly, you guys don't need that definition because you know the word terminal when you hear it, don't you? Right? The word terminal has impacted so many of our lives, so many different families over the years, because when the word terminal gets thrown out, it means they're not going to make it. It means the end is coming. When you hear terminal, it changes the conversation. If the conversation has already been happening, it completely changes the tone of that conversation. However, even in the midst of some of the tension and sadness that comes with that word, in a strange way, terminal diagnoses have generated some pretty amazing moments over the years. When you think about some of the last words that people have thrown out, famous last speeches, maybe deathbed quotes, you can go back through Scripture. Some of the, some of the most meaningful parts of Scripture, especially as you come through the Old Testament, happen as people are nearing the end of their time, time in leadership, time on the planet. Um, Genesis 49, Jacob is blessing his sons. And see, all this whole journey of Abraham and Isaac into Jacob kind of wraps up with Jacob blessing his 12 sons in this amazing couple chapters at the end of Genesis. And then you can go to Joshua, where as he's nearing the end of his life in leadership, throws out that famous statement of, hey, you can choose for yourself today who you're going to serve, but me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. That type of a moment came in a terminal moment for him. He knew the end was coming. You can move on. Secular examples, George Washington's farewell address, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. A lot of people wonder if he kind of knew what was maybe coming because of some of the words that he chose to use in his famous I Have a Dream speech. But when the end is near, it's different. It feels different. It comes out different. It can be very powerful, especially when they know the end is near. Some of you have had those moments. Some of you have had those conversations with maybe grandparents, maybe even parents or other friends or loved ones who have gotten that terminal diagnosis and they know the end is coming and the conversation changes a little bit. Things get said that might not otherwise get said. Conversations happen that maybe have been a long time coming. You, you guys have had those moments. I have admittedly haven't lost a ton of people uh, that have been close to me, but lost uh, grandpa about 21, 22 years ago. And kind of interesting, um, he, had a, uh, he had pancreatic cancer, which is a tough diagnosis now, 20 years ago, it was almost 100% certainty that, that you were going to lose him. And so he had a year, year and a half as, as he kind of battled through that, and as they got towards the end, realized, okay, this is, this is getting close. And so he wrote a letter to each of his grandchildren, had nine or ten at that point. So I got one. I was a senior in high school, spring of that year, and, and um, I know that a lot of thought and prayer went into this letter. I mean, imagine... What, what you would say, what would you be thinking if you knew the end was coming, especially if you have kids, if you have grandkids, and, and the thoughts are just different. Um, but it was, it was different than previous conversations, different than previous letters. He had written us letters before I have one. Um, he bought me my first hunting knife, and a letter came with that, and, and those are all special things. But the tone changed uh, at this point in his life. And so I just want to read the letter. I, I pulled it out last week after a long time. Uh, and tried to read it aloud for the first time. It did not go well. Um, and so I just want to throw it, because I think that, that that tension that you experience when someone throws something at you when they know the end is coming, I think it'll help just kind of build what we're trying to do. Uh, first service went okay, um, uh, and so we'll, just, we'll see how this goes, but thought it'd be cool for you guys to hear kind of Grandpa's last thoughts to me as he was uh, living his terminal diagnosis. So he says, my dear Justin, 
I'm writing to you because I want to share some of those personal things that people who love one another so frequently neglect to speak of during the precious time that God gives them as they spend a portion of their lives with each other here on earth. Now, you can hear the attorney uh, wordiness there. Nice little run-on sentence to kick things off. Um, I've inherited that gene. Uh, like, why, why use one word when you could use ten? It's way more fun. So he continues on. I want you to know, first of all, that I have appreciated the maturity that you have displayed so early in your young manhood. I also appreciate the love and affection you have shown for your grandmother and me. I am sure that you know how much we love you as well. We also want you to know that we often pray for you and request great wisdom for you in your choices in this life. I am confident that your choices and actions will be honoring to God as you serve him and that you will always look to him for help in all your decisions. Another thing we want you to know at this time is that your grandma and I are doing everything that God leads us to do in order to maintain my health and strength during this difficult time in my life. However, notwithstanding the ultimate outcome of my problem, it is a great comfort to know that you and I, as well as all of our family members, have secured a personal and continuing relationship forever because of God's grace in drawing each of us in our decisions to rely on Jesus for our salvation and eternal life. Accordingly, I want you to be strong and to share with others our special understanding of how brief our separation will be on the calendar of eternity. I also want <clears throat> excuse me, I also want you to know that having you in our family has been very special to me and your grandmother during our stay in this world. The time we have spent with you and your immediate family has also been very special to us. You will always hold a very special place in our hearts. You also need to understand how God has given us the ability to give our complete love to each of our children and grandchildren and to never run out of love. This is one of those great attributes of his that he has shared with us. In closing, I ask God's blessing on you, Curly, and I want you to know that it is my fondest hope and prayer that you will invest at least a few minutes each day with your Lord and Savior in prayer and in his word. This would be time invested for eternity rather than time spent here, which is the case with most other activities you may do each day. I also want you to remember to also use the special gifts God has given you to honor and glorify him with much love, your grandfather. And then he quotes John 14, 6 in there as well. So I have to admit, at 17, uh, I was a little slow in picking up um, the meaning of some of those, those words and how much went into it. And there's lots going on. You're getting ready to graduate, trying to figure out what's next, what does college look like, all these different things. Um, and so it didn't mess with me then. It's only been since I've gotten older that I've kind of grasped some of the gravity and weight. As I pulled it out last week, some of you guys will get this, it almost felt like I was pulling out a horcrux. For those of you Harry Potter people, it was, like, it was almost like a, a spiritual weight to it that, that isn't there with other things. But Grandpa had some things that he needed us to hear. He had some things that he needed me to hear. And uh, it wasn't that anything said in there was any more important or powerful than any other conversation we had ever had, but it adds weight, it adds importance, it adds emotion because it was the end. And he knew it was the end. And that type of conversation, that type of information, that type of moment is what we find as we jump into this series called Terminal going through John chapters 13 through 17. Because what we find in the life of Christ is his terminal moment. In fact, in academic circles, these chapters are called the farewell discourse because it's his last significant extended teaching before he goes to the cross. Jesus knew what was coming. 
And he knew what was coming because he had willingly and obediently chosen for it to come. Let me show you what I mean. Um, John 13, where we'll start today. John 13, 1. It says that it was just before the Passover festival and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. A couple pages before. So we, we know that he knew. And then in John 10, verse 17, Jesus is having another conversation. He says, The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. So he knew what was coming. He had chosen it. And, and th- these chapters, if you were to pick them up and put them somewhere else in Scripture, they might take on a completely different vibe. Like they, honestly, they're very similar to the Sermon on the Mount in that it's kind of a significant chunk of teaching locked into a small segment of time, like he, almost like he just sat down and threw it out. But the Sermon on the Mount is different. When, when the Sermon on the Mount happens, something new is going on. Something is being launched. There's excitement. Like when, when we launched our church four and a half years ago, there was excitement around that. Some of you have started businesses. Some of you have uh, start, started things in your life. You've gone to a new vacation spot, bought a new car, new house. There, there's excitement that comes with something new. And the Sermon on the Mount represented that. There was new teaching going on. It was Jesus going, everything that you've been waiting for is happening. The kingdom is here. And as he threw out that teaching, people were were hearing things that encouraged them and inspired them because this was a teaching for those who had been cast aside, those who had been down and out for so long at the hands of culture, even at the hands of religion. And so Jesus came on the scene with this new authoritative teaching, and it built energy. There was a special vibe that came along with the Sermon on the Mount. But this teaching in John 13 through 17 It was different. This teaching was goodbye. It was the end. This journey that Jesus and the disciples had been on, it was something was going to change. Something was going to be over and not in the way that they expected. And some of the things that Jesus left with them, they just needed to hear. And the reason I read that letter is to hopefully start to grasp some of the emotion behind this teaching because I truly believe, based on who Jesus was with, he's with his closest friends, based on what was about to happen, based on the topics that he hits in these chapters, and based on the fact that this was part of the upper room, that last supper that they experienced. Most, if not all, of this teaching happens in that room where there's already so much going on. I truly believe that Jesus and his disciples wept through much of this session, through much of this teaching. And in John 16, Jesus says to them, hey, there's a lot of stuff I'm throwing at you. I didn't tell you this stuff before because I was with you. He He says, I was with you on this planet. You were able to watch me and hear me and copy me and all these different things. I was there to shed light and some wisdom on things that we experienced, but I'm about to leave. So there's some things that you now need to know. And so what we're going to look at are some final things that Jesus passed on to his disciples. Not not because these things are any more or less important than other things Jesus said, but when it comes to the end, it changes things. Jesus was terminal, and he knew it. And honestly, like I said, I I missed it at 17. I missed some of that emotion and have had to kind of circle back to that letter over the years. And so I just want to challenge you. I want to encourage you, don't miss it as we go through these weeks, right? Don't miss the weight. Don't miss the gravity. Because Jesus says some things to those of us who have given our lives to him, who have chosen to follow him, um, things just to kind of clarify. And 
he says some things to those who have yet to make that decision, where there's some passages that he clarifies some things 100%. There's no way to twist it, no way to mix it up. So don't miss the encouragement. Don't miss the reassuring promises. Don't miss some of the warnings of what we can expect as we attempt to follow him. And maybe most importantly, and if you're anything like me, I, I tend to miss the emotion. I miss the gravity of things. Don't miss the emotion in these chapters. Let me pray for us, and we'll, we'll go real quick into John 13. God, we, we just put this series in your hands. It's, it's a powerful passage of Scripture that you've left behind for us. And so, God, as we, as we hear it, as we receive it from all our, in all of our different contexts and all of our different life situations and, and things that we've experienced, God, I pray that each one would hear what they need to hear, uh, experience what they need to experience, so that you can send us into 2022 um, with a little better understanding of what it means to follow you and, and what it means uh, that Jesus left us in the way that he did. In Jesus' name, amen. Cool, so back to John 13 real quick. And what we have here at the start of this, this farewell discourse, this terminal moment in Jesus' life, is uh, this first part isn't so much about the words, although his words explain what he's doing. What this is about is a moment, a defining moment, um, that sets the stage for the rest of the teaching here. So let's go John 13. We'll start in verse 3. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. We're going to come back to that verse. That's our key verse for today. Verse 4, So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. So the, kind of as an aside, this isn't the main point of where we're going today, but it's an interesting enough section and a little bit confusing. Basically, Jesus is saying, hey, Peter, you and these disciples, you're in, right? You, you believe, you've bought into what I'm teaching, you're all in on this, you're my followers, and so because of that, you've been washed, right? Like, these days, post-crucifixion, we'd say, you've been washed in the blood, right? Your sins are forgiven, white as snow. You've had your bath, so to speak. And so he says, Peter, you're in, you're fine, I've cleansed you. But over the course of life, we screw up. We do stupid things. We stray from what God has called us to. And so there are times when we need to come back to him and say, hey, God, I'm still all in. I love you. You know that. I just need to get cleaned up in this area. I need, I need to start fresh in this area. I need you to help me in this area. That's that's what Jesus is saying. He said, Peter, you're fine. You don't need a whole another bath again. Just There are going to be things in your life that I need to, to work on, and so let, let me just wash your feet kind of in a symbolic way. So that, that's where Jesus was going with that. So we'll continue on. Um, Jesus, he said, you're clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. So we got we to gotta talk about feet washing real quick because that's, that's foreign to us, but culturally a pretty common thing, almost an expected thing if you were receiving guests into your home. Usually a job, if you had a servant, it was a job for the, ser the servant. If you didn't have a servant, it's a job for the wife. 
Sorry, not sorry. I don't make the rules. I just tell you how it goes, right? So, but, but basically, the idea was to freshen up the guests after a long journey, long trip, showed them honor, showed them respect, hospitality. Um, kind of, you know, we take their coat, they would wash their feet. Now, for them, kind of gross. Big deal for them, right? We, we think here in 2022, feet, feet are weird, you know, gross, sweaty, toe jam, whatever else you got. But for them, we're talking about a seriously disgusting act. They didn't wear socks and shoes. They wore sandals or went bare feet. And so we're talking rough, calloused feet. Toenails are probably in rough shape. Feet sweat? Oh, absolutely. Calf sweat? Probably. Okay, remember, no sweatpants. Ladies aren't walking around in leggings, right? So you want to talk about thigh sweat? Gravity did its job back then the same way it does here. And so you can just imagine. You want me to keep going? There's lots of different sweat I can talk about. But imagine the type of things that would end up on the feet by the end of the day. And now add to that no paved roads, no sidewalks. So you got dirt and mud mixed in. Whatever else was in the road that ended up on their sandals and their feet. This was not only a humbling task, it was a humiliating task. And yet this powerful act by Jesus that he willingly took on to kick off this stretch of teaching was designed to inspire his followers and draw something different out of them. So that's culturally Washington. How about the situational context? Because that's just as big of a deal. First, who is this guy Jesus? Okay? Some of you would say, well, I know who Jesus was, but maybe some of you don't. So back to John 13, 3, back to that significant verse that I mentioned. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So God had given him all authority, and he'd given him all the power to act on that authority. He is God in the flesh, sent here by God, returning to God, all the authority of the Father given by the Father. And so this is a big deal. This is God in the flesh. All authority, all power, and who's he with? Who who is this God-man with? Well, he's with Peter, who's going to deny him in just a few hours. He's sitting there with Judas, who's going to betray him in just a few minutes. And he's sitting there with the other ten, all of which are going to run away in fear when he gets arrested later that evening. And so we have Jesus, God in the flesh, sitting in this company. And in this situation, Jesus can do whatever he wants. But if he continues down the current path, He's surrounded by people who will betray and deny and abandon him in his greatest hour of need. Down this path, he's being pursued by people who will have him beaten and executed. And at the end of this path, if he continues down the road he's on, he's going to be left alone to suffer, even by God the Father, as he carries the weight of sin and shame of the entire world. But, so that's the path he's on. But as I said, he's got all the power in the world, And he's been given all the authority to wield that power however he wants. So the question is, what would you do with that power? What path would you choose? Well, I think that we would do what any of us would do, right? We we would do what Jesus has every right to do. See, we, we find ourselves in situations in life, a lot of he said, she said situations where we think, okay, I think I've been wronged. You think you've been wronged. I think I'm right. You think You're right. One group thinks they're the victim. The other group thinks the exact opposite. Lots of room for debate. Am I justified or not? Do I have the authority to decide how this plays out 
or not? Do I have the moral high ground or not? Is my response in this situation appropriate or is it not appropriate? But that's not the case. None of those questions apply to Jesus because he is in the right. He has the moral high ground. He has the authority. He has the power. None of those questions are in play. He has full justification for however he chooses to handle this moment. So how does he handle the moment? Well, we already read a big chunk of it. John 13, 4. In this moment, with that power, with that authority, knowing what is to come if he continues down this path, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jump to verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. But now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. He says, do you realize what I've done for you? Similar to what I said at the beginning, he's saying, don't miss it. Don't miss the power of this moment. Don't miss the significance of this moment. Maybe makes eye contact with Peter, who he knows is going to deny him later that night. Peter, do you recognize what I've done for you? Maybe glanced over at Judas, knowing he was about to get up and go do what he was about to do. Maybe said, Judas, do you understand what I've done here? Do you realize I am who you think I am. I do have the authority. I do have the high ground here. And with that authority, I've given you an example, and I want you to go and do the same thing. In this moment, knowing what was coming, knowing he had the power to change it, knowing he had the authority to change it, knowing he could handle it however he wanted to, Jesus lowered himself before the betrayers and the deniers and the cowards in his life, and then hours later went to the cross to save them from their cowardliness and their fear and their betrayal and their denials. Philippians chapter 2 describes the situation in a similar way. Paul is talking and he references back to some Old Testament prophecies, but Philippians 2, starting in verse 5, it says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So he's echoing that challenge. What I've done for you, go and do that for each other and for others. Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. That's amazing to me. How could being God not be something that you would want to use to your advantage? But Jesus did the exact opposite. It says, rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so Jesus leaves this moment, this message behind us as he kicks off this teaching saying, when you go out into the world and when you encounter people who treat you the way they treated me, when we encounter situations where we feel justified in responding however we want to respond, where we find ourselves in situations where God actually gives us some freedom in his name to respond in certain ways. Jesus wants you to lower yourself the way he lowered himself, to respond the way he responded, to serve 
the way he served. To use whatever power you have. Because you got, some of you guys are in different contexts. Where you have some authority, right? You have some advantages. You have some strength. You, you have some talents. You've acquired some knowledge, right? He wants you to take all of those things, whatever you have, whatever that's been given to you, and leverage that not for yourself, but to do things the way he did it, to do what he would do if he was here now. He wants you to see needs and meet needs. Not based on whether or not someone deserves it in the moment, but because he did it for you first. When there are multiple ways to respond, when there are options at your fingertips, start with serve and go from there. Start with serve and go from there. Now, important note, because we've got some really great godly husbands, fathers in the room, godly people in this room, and you're going to home and be like, everybody sit down on the couch. I'm going to wash your feet after church. Right? I'm going to do what Jesus did. Now, you might need a moment like that. I've seen that happen on missions trips, and it can be really powerful, but I'm not looking for symbolic gestures today. Right? Here's the thing. Feet in 2022, they can be gross. Right? But we're not talking about first century feet. And so, It's really just a symbolic gesture. That's not what I'm looking for. I want you to take feet washing and figure out what's a personal, modern-day equivalent of feet washing in my life. Parents. This came up in our parenting series a couple months ago, right? You have some authority as a parent. You have some influence as a parent. You have size and strength at your advantage as a parent. What can you do to humble yourself, to lower yourself, on behalf of your family, on behalf of your children and your spouse. Some of you are in positions of, some of you are bosses, some of you have some leadership, some of you have people in your lives that you have influence over, people who are watching you. What can you do to humble yourself, maybe even humiliate yourself on their behalf? How can you start with serve with them? Kids, teenagers, right? Some of them are messing around right back here towards the back. I'm watching you, right? What? I'm kidding. You're fine. Um, What can you do? You've got parents in your life, you've got friends in your life, you've got siblings in your life, you have people in your life that you've been given some influence over, that you have some connection with. What does it look like to wash their feet? What does it look like to serve them? What does it look like when you have all the options at your disposal? Hey, I watch my kids every day. They spend the whole day trying to figure out whose fault it was and who started it, right? You find yourself in those types of situations, even as adults, when you have all the options available to you. And you're trying to decide who started it. Is it my fault? Is it their fault? Do I have some power here? Do I have the moral high ground? Start with serve and go from there. How can you wash someone's feet? How can you do what Jesus did? How can you respond the way he responded? And this is significant. This is how he chooses to start this stretch of teaching. This is how he chooses to kick off his terminal moment with the disciples. This is how he kicks off his last significant words to them. And it sets the tone for the entire series. Start with serve, and we'll go from there. Let's pray. God, I I just pray that you would uh, have your hand on each one here today. I love that the ages represented and the families represented and just the different life contexts represented and And so, God, I pray that as we go out from here and enter into the rest of our afternoon, into our week, that this idea, this message that you've given us, this 
this defining moment that you allow us to look into in the feet washing of your disciples would continue to mess with us. God, bring it back to mind in key moments. Lock it into our hearts. Let us follow your example. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Have a great afternoon.